0: Did I get the job? Absolutely not. Why not? Because you're a baby boomer, and I'm a millennial. Most Gen Xers are in school during the crash. So at first, they think, like, so what? I am a Gen Xer. But
1: I came to find out that actually, the term Generation X, it has no meaning. How is eating meat racist?
2: I'll gladly tell you. Looks like we've got an oppressor on our hands. Don't act fast, the wave is going to Generation
1: X overboard. The millennials and Generation Z have the Peter Pan syndrome. They don't ever want to grow up.
2: Maybe they will ask why you didn't do anything
0: while there still was time to act. You say you love your children above all else, and yet you're stealing their future in front
2: of their very eyes.
0: You're going to mature and you're going to realize nothing's free that things aren't equal, and that your utopian society you created in your mind in your youth simply is not sustainable. Okay, boomer, listen up. Generational conflict is back. Boomers have stolen millennials' future. They've used up scarce resources while voting for austerity. For their part, millennials are self-absorbed avocado scoffers who rather complain than work and save where once the young rebels of the 1960s stuck it to the man, and by extension their parents' generation, today it's the turn of the young to challenge that very same 60s generation, now grown old, retired, and complacent. It's they who mortgaged our future, didn't they? This is the growing narrative of generationalism, the belief that all members of a given generation possess characteristics specific to that generation, which make it inferior or superior to another our turbulent times at the end of the end of history are generating new cleavages and conflicts and the generation war is one of the most prominent across the west welcome to okay bunger the problem of generations a special five part series by alfie bunga bunga the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history in part 1 we bore witness to the growing discourse around generational conflict today we set out four proposals about generations. That generations can be a useful lens through which to understand history by looking at what a generation experiences and does as it passes through life. That the emergence of generational consciousness is not automatic or predetermined, but provoked by certain traumatic formative experiences. But that generations can be defined by more than what happens to them. They can be defined by their political agency. And finally, that generationalism is a problem wedging social conflicts and antagonisms into a generational frame serves to obscure class. We also learned how certain social groups within a generation come to stand for the generation as a whole. These are generation units, think revolting students or hippies for the boomers, or slackers in the case of Gen X. And finally, we learned about the role intellectuals play in giving voice to these generation units. In this episode, the historical emergence of generations in the 19th and early 20th centuries. The baby boomers, born 1945 to 64, have mythologized their own youth. In fact, youth culture seems to find its origins, even its essence, in the subcultures and counterculture of the 1960s. As the Scottish political theorist Tom Nairn wrote in a book about the 1968 revolt in France, Youth could for the first time assume an other than biological meaning, a positive social meaning, as the bearer of those pressures in the social body which prefigure the new society instead of the reproduction of the old one. But what was that new society that was being prefigured? Was it truly the liberated one of the new left's dreams? For the sociologist John Clark, youth was the vanguard party that is, the vanguard of the classless, post-Protestant consumer society to come. But long before youth became associated with either consumerism or the radical politics of the 1960s, and often both, youth was already a concern in a previous radical age in Europe. An age when youth came to prefigure the new society rather than just reproducing the old one.
1: Io Giuseppe Garibaldi credente nella missione commessa da Dio all'Italia e nel dovere che ogni uomo nato italiano ha da contribuire al suo adempimento è convinto che dove Dio ha voluto che fosse nazione esistano le forze necessarie per crearla che il popolo è depositario di quelle forze che nel dirigerle per il popolo e con il popolo sta il segreto della vittoria do il mio nome alla giovane Italia associazione di uomini credenti nella stessa fede e giuro di consacrarmi in tutto per sempre a costituire con essi l'Italia Una, libera, independente, republicana. In the 19th century, ideas of youth and generational consciousness are most obviously linked with Italy. Indeed, they sort of begin in Italy and spread outwards to various other countries.
0: Niall Whelahan, a historian at Strathclyde University in Scotland, specializing in 19th and early 20th century history, and nationalism and radicalism.
1: E giuro, invocando sulla mia testa lire di Dio, L'abominio degli uomini, l'infamia dello spergiuro, si io tradissi, in tutto o in parte, il mio giuramento. The Italian movement begins with a man called Giuseppe Mazzini. He was an Italian Republican nationalist, and he found a movement called Young Italy in 1831. And soon after Young Italy, there is movements in other places. Young Germany, Young America, Young Poland, Young Russia, Young Ireland, Young England. So this idea of a political movement which is qualified by age or generation in its title Young Italy, becomes um, a phenomenon in the mid-19th century. 1827. L'Italia non esiste ancora, ma alcuni giovani iniziano a sognarla. For Mazzini, this idea of youth was connected to the French Revolution and Mazzini and other radical movements throughout Europe. There was an idea that the French Revolution represented such a transformational moment or a trauma in European history, that there was a difference in generations between the people born before it and after it. In reality, what we're talking about is a difference between the old order, the ancien regime, and the new young order. So for Young Italy and Mazzini's organization in Italy, members were born people born after the French Revolution. So that was generally people 40 years and younger. So again, ideas of age and youth are, are, are all relative here. Now we can talk a little bit more again about what age means, what it means to be young. My idea of young and old is relative to me and the people around me and so on. Participation in youthful politics, or what young people got out of it, depended. These were primarily democratic movements searching for more political rights, political participation. If you're a young person in 19th century Europe, you don't have a vote. Your social is life is dependent on your parents or dependent upon other people of the older generation. You're tied to a household economy. You have no security over your labor. So a way out of that, then, is a participating in these young movements that give you, above anything else, agency. You don't have a political voice otherwise because you're excluded from sort of mainstream politics. So participation in these clubs that meet in cafes and bars and so on give young people some say and some sense of agency and an idea that they can break their dependence with the older order.
0: So what meanings were associated to being young, to youth?
1: Now, there's people who self-identify as young, like in Young Italy and these other young movements that emerge among Europe. But the designation is also imposed by the state. and Institutions label problems or, group or movements as young movements, when in reality, maybe sometimes they're not. And that can be kind of problematic, labeling something as young, because it suggests maybe a range of other things. Mm-hmm. Well, for the state, it maybe signified a sort of hot-headedness, um, along with maybe ideological danger or a threat to the established order. But, I mean, in terms of what it meant to be young, I mean, age is, is cultural, and these young movements are all sort of defined by, uh, by culture, I guess. So to be young could be your age, whether you're under 25 or under 21. To be young could be you're not yet married. So in terms of thresholds between youth and maturity, One is age, one is marriage, one could be a job, completing an education, completing a trade, various things like that. Inheritance of property could be another one. So in the 19th century, ideas of what Jung, I guess to make the point, is just not explicitly tied to age. There are a number of other reference points. Mm -hmm. In terms of politics, then, to be young is associated with nationalism in this period, um, nations in the making, so to speak. So like Italy, like Ireland, nations that come of age in the late 19th century or 20th century, um, with radical politics, with reviving the promise of the revolutions of the late 18th century that maybe haven't come to pass yet, like the French Revolution, American or the Haitian Revolution, and so on. So an association with radical politics, But an association that was sometimes played up by the state, that in a way by labelling a problem as a young person's problem is also somehow a means of dismissing it, of downplaying its seriousness by saying, well, these are just young hotheads. They're not necessarily serious political actors or they're not seriously engaged, if you know what I mean.
0: Youth then came to carry a lot of social weight to have a whole range of significations.
1: So I think the French Revolution is a major turning point and it sort of changes the ideological landscape of Europe, and indeed maybe globally you can say, but it also changes this idea of young and old um, and the old order associated with sort of the bad social things, the bad things in society, and then to be young associated with the promise of the future. So it's very future tilted, you know, full of potential and um, of new nations, of new societies, um, it offers promise, whereas the old order is a regression to aristocracy. And I guess to be young was also very much a, a sort of rejection of the of aristocracy and the elites of the old world.
0: The French Revolution was such an epochal interruption, arguably the initiation of political modernity, that it configured all subsequent politics.
1: The French Revolution, as I mentioned before, is linked to the young. Italy movement in that Mazzini sees its members as being people born after the French Revolution. So the French Revolution is such a sort of transformative event, it creates a generation. Um, in Ireland, the other country um, I work on, the maybe the defining event for generations is the Great Famine of the mid-19th century. So in mid-19th century Ireland, the population is about eight million and in the period of the Great Famine, which is from 1845 to 1852, that drops by about two and a half to three million people. So about three in every eight people um, are gone from Ireland, either through um, about a million people die and about a million and a half people emigrate. So there's a sense that that was such a transformative moment. It almost sets the reset button on society, so to speak. And you have people that were born before it associated with the mistakes that led to this catastrophe and the people who were born after it, who are almost like a generation zero. That can create this new world and really don't owe the people generations of the past anything because they made such uh, such mistakes you find this case in in different countries
2: you'd have to turn a protestant to get any of nangel soup he came right like, on a difficult mission to establish a protestant community among a catholic community people were dying with the hunger, and he had a shipload of Indian meal with him, and he built a colony down there in Dugart. I love this country. What's left of it? all the same, no appreciation of beauty. The beauty would be held in much higher regard, sir, if it could be eaten. They went on the shore and every rock and every every place of go was turned over with uh, looking for limpids and winkles, They had at everything. And then they started eating the seaweed, chopping it up and boiling it. And they died with dysentery and black fever. And stalatine fever and yellow fever. They were dying every day at that. Lot of your tenants have been struggling, sir. There's already been some cases of starvation. Nonsense. Crops have failed before, and mortality levels have been perfectly acceptable. Historically, Historically we look you back that on that period now as just awful, don't we? I think there were some. There were some. There were some good bits, and there were some less than good bits. Obviously, we had a kind of falling out, right? There was a time when of we have very good relations between the Republic of Ireland and the United.
0: States. Does that mean though that what we understand as generational consciousness was already operative in the 19th century in the shadow of the French Revolution?
1: I suppose the first thing I would say in terms of approaching generational consciousness in Europe, um, ideas of sort of categories of generation as a category of analysis sort of come to the fore in the 1960s with Hmong sociologists in the 1970s. So it's a way or a perspective on the 19th century that's shaped by the baby boomers and by these new ideas of generation in the 1960s and 1970s that are, of course, associated with radicalism and, and revolution and so on. So there's a sense of these being projected back onto the 19th century, but I think there's a lot to be said for them. So you have movements like Young Italy that do self-identify as young. And, you know, a question arises then, can you take the category of generation to be similar to class or similar to ethnicity or similar to gender as being something that, you know, a big group of people can cohere around and express solidarity around this issue. And that's true to an extent. So in Young Italy they do, in Young Ireland they do, in the Fenian movement in Ireland, which my research has focused on, they do to a certain extent, but there's a difference between class as well. So in Italy, in the Young Italy movement, it's very middle class, it's university led, it's students. It's not necessarily a a generational consciousness that spills into the peasantry, so to speak. There is a conflict between the old order and young people and attitudes associated with the old order in terms of who can participate in politics, who are leadership figures within communities. But again, to come back to see, it's not always sort of split along age, the sort of biological age. So you get older people, let's say older, in inverted commas, in their 40s maybe, just uh, join in with movements of people in their 20s. Protest movements, and maybe we assumed them to be young. And Eric Hobsbawm, for example, had written a book, Bandits, where he associates, he uses youth as a, as a sort of an explainer all on its own. But um, I don't think it is. Uh, it mixes with other factors, such as class and, and ethnicity and, and other political factors uh, to create these uh, new movements. But on a metaphorical level, let's say, there is a conflict between the old order, which is associated with aristocracy, and lack of democratic freedoms, and the promise of new nations, you know. There's a sort of, in the young movements, there's a sense of individual coming of age as a participant of these movements, but also the nation coming of age in its independence, whether that's Italy, or in 1870, or Ireland in, in, in the early 20th century, or, or, or other nations. There's this sense of connection between the individual and the project, you know, a a sort of young person trying to create a new, young nation.
0: The revolutions of 1789 and 1848 are obvious turning points that generate cleavages, leaving behind the Ancien Regime, birthing new nations
1: then in the early 20th century of course the the first world war is linked to generational cleavage and a sort of generational consciousness in the years after from you know 1918 maybe to the 19, into the 1920s and the historian Robert Wall has written a famous book in 1979 about the generation of 1914 and again this idea that the previous generation have got things so wrong the young generation really need to take over the mantle and create this new society you know feeding into that is a lot of aspiration and hope for a new future but also a lot of fantasy about you know what can be achieved and what young people can achieve what's within their capacity so war revolution and events like famine in the 19th century i guess are these sort of major transformative events that create generational cleavages and and generational consciousness in the way that for the baby boomers in the later generations you know the second world war you could say maybe create a generational conscious, but certainly a point of reference for a sort of idea of a, of a generation and whether, you know, COVID and, you know, the age of populist politics now will connect. I mean, millennials are a generation that are associated with a lot of things, but it's also a, a label that's very problematic in that it combines people of a variety of ages. And ultimately, a lot of the problems maybe you associate with millennials are just social problems that don't necessarily need to be labeled with a sort of a generational label.
0: That generation of 1914 passed through the sort of historical change that's scarcely imaginable to us today. Not history as some abstraction, but something immediate and visceral, leaving scars, physical and emotional. But even those who experienced the Great War, on the front and at home, and its far-reaching consequences as old regimes across Europe fell, could not easily be classed as a generation. As the historian Robert Voll put it in his study of the people born at the end of the 19th century, at a time when the world of reason was disintegrating into a world of irrationality, the most striking thing about the generation of 1914 seemed to be the indeterminacy of the social group to which the phrase referred. Vol decided to abandon theoretical consistency, concluding that the generation of 1914 was above all an idea. Interestingly, the most important theories about generations were themselves conceived between 1910 and 1933. It seems as if the generation of 1914 spurred on thinking about and thinking in terms of generations, much like the sociologists of the 1970s had their thinking shaped by the student revolts of the 1960s. Earlier in the 19th century, generation was taken to mean relations between father and son. But after the cataclysm of the Great War, there could be no doubt a definite generational consciousness had emerged, grouping together youth into one social block, one that saw itself as lost.
2: One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, and the sun goes down, hastens to the place where he arose. This is Paris of today. Our story deals with another Paris, the Paris of 1922, shortly after what used to be called the Great War. We were part of that spectacular lost generation of young people who continued to live as though they were about to die. Jake Barnes. Hello, Jake. Good to see you. How are you? Fine, fine, thanks. You look fine. You don't remember me, do you? Harris from the Ospedale Maggiore in Milano. Of course, I'm sorry. You you were with a bombardment squadron. That's it. Had 10 operations and I still can't bend my knee. You about through now? Yeah, a couple of months more and then home. And they're never gonna see my face this side of the water again. Hey, what are you still doing over here? Oh, I'm working. Oh, that's right, I remember. You were a newspaper man before the war. So you decided to stay here, huh? Well, that's not the way I'd play it. I'm going home, even if it is too late to be a hero. Well, uh, good luck to you, Harris. Yeah, you too. Uh, Barnes. You're all right, aren't you? Yeah, sure.
0: A clip from the film adaptation of Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises, in which a veteran of the Great War loses himself. Indeed, Gertrude Stein admonished this Génération perdue. That's what you are. That's what you all are. All of you young people who served in the war. You are a lost generation. You have no respect for anything. You drink yourselves to death. Robert Vole again. This swell of generationalism reached its peak between 1928 and 1933, and then slowly ebbed, leaving its main traces in literature and memoirs. But during those years, the generational idea appeared on the pens and lips of men and women of all camps and countries. All these people were struck, as Ortega and T.E. Lawrence were, by the discovery that one's generation was a destiny whose iron shackles permitted no escape. This realization proved useful in an age when unabashed elitism could no longer hold sway, when social revolution was knocking on the door. Generationalism would be a handy way to tangle with and engage with mass politics, but without succumbing to its logical conclusion. Revolution. Robert Vole again. In an age when men of the European elite had come to understand their need for followers, the generational idea held out the tantalizing possibility of a new kind of mass formation that would be defined by age, mentality, and experience, as opposed to income, status, and interest. It posited a potential connection between privileged individuals capable of shaping attitudes and masses capable of implementing these attitudes through political action. This possibility of a new kind of political coalition explains the fascination, the generational idea exerted on Europeans seeking an alternative to the determinism of class.
2: No human system is perfect. But the system of free ports, with all its faults, has built up for us the greatest international trade in the world, the greatest shipping in the world, the greatest aggregation of ports in the world, the greatest expert of manufactured goods per head of the population in the whole world. We are the richest country in Europe, We pay the highest wages of any country in Europe except Denmark, which is also free trade. All this, we are asked to fling away in a moment of bewilderment. The real aim of this election has been very cunningly concealed in the folds of the Union Jack.
0: The role of intellectuals, especially literary intellectuals, was key. In most Western and Central European countries during this period, the middle classes were torn between their desire to wrest power from the former elites and their fear of a rebellion of the masses. Intellectuals from these classes dreamed of a spiritual revolution that would eliminate the exploiters and the exploited and fuse all sectors of society into a unified and conflict-free community. This generational idea appealed to them, because it pointed to one way in which the spiritual revolution could be accomplished. The generation of 1914 was therefore, first of all, a self-image produced by a clearly defined group within the educated classes at a particular moment in the evolution of European society. It was both an attempt at self-description by intellectuals, and a project of hegemony over other social classes, that derived its credibility and its force from circumstances that were unique. Later, the particular circumstances of the 1960s, when a generation, a generation that was the product of a boom of babies after the war, when that generation encountered mass affluence in a consumer society, it would also bring much talk and singing about my generation, and much myth-making as well. What actually happened with the so-called baby boomers? Are they who they say they are? Are they who we believe them to be? The boomers, their youth and life course, the reality and myth, is the subject of the next episode of OK Boonger, The Problem of Generations. Thank you for listening to OK Boonger, The Problem of Generations. This series is produced by Philip Cunliffe, George Hoare, and Alex Hohili. Original music is by Johnny Mundy. This episode's guest has been Niall Whelahan. And the narrator is myself, Alex Hohili. For access to everything Alpha Bunga, Bunga including bonus content, original subscriber only episodes, and our monthly reading clubs, join us at Patreon.com BungaCast. Ok Bunger, the problem of generations, is back with another episode next week. See you then.